Proverbs 29, verse number 18 says, that where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is the man who keeps the law. A better translation, the King James Version says, without the revelation, the people will perish, but happy is the man who keeps the law. Both are true because both play off one another. Man can't have a vision unless he knows the revelation of God. Unless he knows what God says, he doesn't know what to do. Without that revelation, without knowing what God wants us to do and where he wants us to go, we will be unrestrained. And if we're unrestrained, eventually we will perish. But the happy man is the one who keeps the law of God. I wish, I pray that the church of Jesus Christ truly understood Proverbs 29 Verse number 18. But I'm afraid they don't. In other words, Proverbs 29, 18 just isn't for the church. It's for everybody. It's for the entire world. It's for every civil authority that reigns in our government. For every police officer. For every senator, every governor, every mayor, every president. For everyone. For without the revelation of God, there'll be anarchy. By the way, we have that. There'll be tyranny. We have that as well. We have people out of control. We have people that are unrestrained. We have people that are uninhibited. We have people that are perishing. Why? Because without a vision, Rooted in the revelation of God, those who lead cannot direct people in the ways of God. So that verse goes across the board. It's just not for the church. It goes for anyone who's ever lived. But we tend to think that it doesn't apply to those who rule over us. But it does. In fact, the pressing question is, why is it when we read verses like Romans 13, 1 to 6, the church has never fully grasped the meaning of those verses? Why is it when we go to Romans 13, verses 1 to 6, we misunderstand the authority and therefore we misapply the text to our lives. If you got your Bible, turn to Romans 13 just for a moment. Let me show this to you. This is very important. I received a phone call this past Thursday from the health department here in our county. And they informed me that we were not following COVID protocols. I said, yes, that, that's, that's true. We're not mandating those things. And they inform me that, you know, we're going to have to cite you if, if you don't continue to do that. And I said, well, we can't do that. And so I began to explain to them our stand and why we do what we do. 
And then they would come back and say, well, yes, we understand that, but you have to follow what we say. And I said, well, no, I don't. I have to follow what God says. And the person on the phone said something very interesting. She said to me, isn't there a verse in the Bible that says that you're supposed to submit to those in authority over you? And I said, yes, that's, that's in Romans 13. She goes, oh, you know those verses. I said, yes, I know them very well. And so I said, let me turn to Romans 13. Let me read it to you, and let me explain it to you. So I'm going to tell you what I said to her. It was a very long conversation, needless to say. But it was basically a one-sided conversation, me teaching her about Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 6, and what it actually does say. And she was very kind, and I was very sweet, because that's the kind of guy I am. But no, seriously, I was very nice. I really was. And I just took her through the verses. And I said, well, read it with me. Of course, she didn't have her Bible, so I had to tell her what it said. It said, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. I said, so, yes, we are. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. I said, do you know that you are where you are because God put you there? You might be an elected official or an appointed official by your superior, but I want to let you know you're there because God put you there. And because God put you there, listen very carefully, you have to do what God says. You don't have an option not to do what God says. You don't have an option to opt out of what God has revealed in his word. So I said, let's read on. It says, therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, the command of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for it is a minister of God to you for good. I said, do you know that you are a minister of God to me and to everyone else for good? But the problem is you've redefined good. You can't redefine good because the revelation of God defines for us what good is. God is good and does good. Hebrews 6.5 says that the word of God is good. So therefore, everything that is good falls in line with the word of God. If it falls outside the word of God, it's evil. If it falls inside the word of God, it's good. And so you are a minister of God for good, not for evil. But we live in a society that's redefined good and redefined evil, making evil good and good evil. But God never gave you or me the authority to do that. I said, the Bible also says this, but if you do what is evil, be afraid for it it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God and eventually brings wrath on on the one who practices evil, and rightly so. You bear the sword for good because you are to bring the sword down on those who do evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. 
In other words, you are a servant of God. You are a minister of God. It repeats it over and over again. And so therefore, you are responsible to carry out the revelation of God just as I am responsible for carrying out the revelation of God because you've been appointed by God. God never gave a civil ruler the authority to go outside of what he's already said. But once you do that, you go outside your lane. And once you go outside your lane, you're out of bounds. You cannot do that, just like I can't do that. So you want me to go outside my lane, outside of what God has said about real true worship and what worship consists of, and tell the people in my church what they must do to worship. And I said, I have no authority to do that. I cannot do that. And she says, well, if you continue to do that, we'll have to cite you. And I said, I understand that. I said, you have to do what you've been told to do. But I must do what I know to be true. And I can't step outside those bounds. I said, so I understand where you're at. You understand where I'm at. But I must follow what the word of the Lord says. You see, the church today has forgotten that the president, the governors, the mayors, the leaders of whatever institutions are in this country are subject to the same authority that you and I are. They have no right to go outside that because they've been appointed by God and they exist for God's purposes. And if they decide to go outside of that, they've gone outside their bounds and they've violated the truth of God. Therefore, they will do what is evil. They won't do what is good. And they're supposed to be ministers of that which is good, not of evil. That's very important to say that and understand that. But listen to this. Charles Spurgeon, over 100 years ago, said these words. The new religion... Now, the new religion is the same religion as today, as it was 4,000 years ago. But he defines it as the new religion. The new religion practically sets thought above revelation and constitutes man the supreme judge of what ought to be true. In other words, the new religion is this. What I believe to be true, based on my reason, is true, not the revelation of God. So reason trumps revelation, instead of revelation determining how I reason. And so Spurgeon, 100 years ago, said, listen, this is the new religion that practically works itself out, that man's reason rules over God's revelation. And that's the way it's always been. Man wants autonomy. He wants autonomy from authority and accountability. That's the religion of the world. I want to be independent from any authority. I want to be independent from any, any accountability. I want to do whatever I want to do because in my mind, in my reason, I can reason why this is good for me. Man does not want to be told what to do. He doesn't want to be told how to do it. He doesn't want to be accountable for his lifestyle. That's all Romans 1. We read that last week. And so you begin to understand that what man is doing is he wants to live a life of autonomy from all accountability and all authority. And God says you can't do that. The government can't do that either. They are subject to the revelation of the living God. Now listen to this. 
Let me show you how this has evolved. Go back with me, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy. Before you do, let me read to you what David said to Solomon. David's about to die. David was the great king of Israel. From David will come the Messiah, and the son of David will sit on the throne of David and rule and reign from Jerusalem as the king of kings and lord of lords. Oh, by the way, there is a supreme king. There is a supreme lord. He is Jesus Christ. He is the authority that grants man opportunity and responsibility. And so when we read what David says to Solomon, it tells you how every, listen, every ruler is to rule. Not just kings in Israel. He says this, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is as the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, when the tender grass springs out of the earth through sunshine after rain. David says, listen, my son, you need to understand there's a way to, way to rule. You must rule righteously and reverently. Righteously, according to what God says is right and wrong, because he is the righteous God. And you do that in the fear of God, not the fear of man. You do it in the fear of man. You do it reverently, fearing God only. If you do that, you will be as the radiant sunshine. You will be as refreshment upon people's lives. You will bring a refreshing radiance to the people you lead because you lead righteously and you re lead reverently. Whenever a king or a president or a governor, whoever or whatever authority he might have, does not rule righteously and reverently, they will not bring sunshine, radiance, nor will they bring the refreshing aspect to the people they lead. David made that very clear. And he based it based on what God had already said. Way back in the book of Deuteronomy. So now if you're there, Deuteronomy chapter 17. Verse number 14 says, When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations around me, you will surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your countrymen, you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not be a foreigner over yourselves, or put a foreigner over yourselves, who is not your countrymen. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he ca cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. So David, David before Saul, before, or excuse me, after Saul, after the judges, after Joshua, listens to the words of Moses as Moses is about to die, giving instruction for the nation of Israel as they are about to embark in the promised land. Now, why is this important? Because Israel, listen, was to be a light and testimony to the nations around them. How Israel ruled would be a testimony to how the nations were to rule. So God sets out very specific instructions for those who are kings, for those who rule. 
so that the nations around them will see how God blesses those who rule in a way that honors the Lord God of Israel, that there is one God. They were a revelation of God to the nations. The church today is that same revelation. The church gathers and is a revelation to the nations on what leadership is, what rulership is, how you submit to the authority of God so they in turn will learn to submit to the authority of God. We now are that testimony. We now are that light to show them because they are accountable to the same God you and I are accountable to and therefore they are, a same, they, they are accountable to the same, same word that we are accountable to. If we don't show them the way, who will? The church of Jesus Christ must do that. And so, the Lord goes on to say in verse number 18, now shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of the law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and carefully or by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above the countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. In other words, listen, this king is to write the law of God because he has to rule righteously. And if he writes the law of God and knows exactly what God says, then he will live in the fear of God, he will rule reverently. So righteousness and reverence are the key cornerstone to anybody who ever leads. Once you step outside of righteous ruling, once you step outside of reverence as you rule, you set yourself up as God and rule your way, not God's way. That's a problem. David knew that. That's why he told his son Solomon how to rule. Because he needed to understand exactly the testimony he was to have to the people of Israel and to the surrounding nations. So, when you come to 1 Samuel chapter 8, it happens. Israel's in the promised land. Joshua led them in. They were ruled by judges. And Samuel, that last judge, last prophet, transitions into the monarchy of Israel. This is very important. Israel had a king. Israel was ruled by a theocracy. But Israel decided they wanted to be like everybody else. And so it says in verse number four, then the elders of Israel gathered together, 1 Samuel chapter eight, and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, behold, you have grown old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when he said, give us a king. Or they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now then, listen to their voice, however you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. God says, they rejected me as their king. My rulership over them is not what they want. 
They want to be like all the other nations. Instead of a, a nation being a testimony to the other nations on how to live, Israel was influenced by the nations outside of them, telling them now how to live in Israel. It's like the church today letting the nations on the outside tell the church how to run its business on the inside. Can't do that. But Israel did. And so, God says, Solomon, you warn them. You tell them what's going to happen to them if they choose to go this way. Solomon does. He spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked of him a king. He said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to, to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your mule servants excuse me, your male servants, maybe they're mules, I don't know. Take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. He's gonna take, he's gonna take, he's gonna take. He's going to keep on taking from you. He's going to take your property. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your money. He's going to take your, your children. He's going to take your male servants. He's going to take your females. He's going to take everything from you to serve himself. That's what he does. Know this. And on that day, when you realize this, finally you're going to cry out to me, but I will not answer. So, verse 19. Nevertheless, People refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. So Samuel said to the men of Israel, go, every man, to a city. They said no. They said exactly what Psalm 14.1 says. The fool says in his heart, no God. No. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. The religion of, of, of autonomy, that I can do my own thing without authority, without any accountability. I can do whatever I want to do. We don't want to do that. We want to be like all the other nations. We want to be like the world. Even though you tell us what's going to happen. So they did. They appointed King Saul. Remember that story? If you're with us in our study of Saul, Solomon, and David, you're understanding all the events surrounding this. Because we went into great detail with all of this. And what happened to Saul? Saul, because he did not write the law of God, 
He did not understand the righteousness of God, so he could not lead righteously. And if you can't lead righteously, you can't lead reverently in the fear of God. But who did Saul fear? He feared the Philistines. He feared Goliath. He even feared the people. For in 1 Samuel 15, he said, you know what? I didn't kill King Agag like I was told to by God, and I didn't kill all the animals as I was told to by God. I spared some of them. I spared the king. Why? Because I feared the voice of the people. He didn't fear God because he didn't live righteously. He could not live reverently in the fear of the Lord. You see, God has given us divine revelation. And he gives it to us so that the people will be unrestrained. They will not perish. They will not be out of control. And that revelation, if we're a father leading our families, the same is true for us as we lead our children. If we're elders and pastors in churches, if we are governing authorities in in the county or or in the, the United States of America or some foreign country, We can easily say, well, you know, that was Israel years ago. We're in America today. It doesn't apply to it. Yes, it does. Because they're appointed by God, they are accountable to God for the revelation of God. That's why the revelation is our resolution. We have resolved to obey the revelation of God without without any hesitation. Because if God says that it's good, if God says that it's true, if God says that it's the right thing to do, even though it might go against what we feel in our hearts or even think in our minds, if God said it, it's true. And therefore I obey my king, the king of kings, the, king, the lord of lords, because every, every king on earth is subject to the king of heaven. So when you come to the book of Hosea, God has given an indictment against Ephraim. Ephraim being the strongest tribe in Israel, representing all of Israel. And God gives an indictment against them because they've gone through all these kings, through a divided kingdom, kings who did not rule righteously, Kings who did not rule reverently, who allowed the people to live in autonomy, to do whatever they wanted to do, and it cost them greatly. They were about to go into captivity. The Assyrians were about to come in and wipe them out and take them away, and God was warning them through the prophet Hosea. He says, when Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. Why? Because they were the major tribe. Yet he exalted himself in Israel, but through Baal he did wrong and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves molten images, idols skillfully made from their silver. All of them the work of craftsmen. This is Hosea 13, by the way. They say of them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. The calves. Remember Jeroboam, when the kingdom was divided after Solomon died? That Jeroboam was the king of the northern 10 tribes of Israel. He set up golden calves in Tel Dan, up in the northern part of Israel, and then further down in the southern part so the people of Israel would worship those calves and not have to go to Jerusalem. Kiss the calves. Therefore, they will be like 
the morning cloud. And like dew, which soon disappears. Like chaff, which is blown away from the threshing floor. And like smoke from a chimney. In other words, nothing you do will last. It's like smoke from a chimney, it disappears. Like dew in the morning, it just is soon gone. All your sinful behavior will not bring forth any fruit. Yet, verse 4, I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, and you were not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought, and they had their pasture. They became satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. So I will be like a lion to them, like a leopard. I will lie in wait by the wayside. I will encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs, and I will tear open their chest. There I will also devour them like a lioness, as a wild beast would tear them. God says, listen, uh, you forgot me. I gave you this, I gave you that. I took you out, I gave you pasture. I satisfied you, and yet you became proud in your heart. You became arrogant, and I t- you turned away from me, and you forgot me. You forgot me. I'm going to be like a bear robbed of her cubs. I'm going to be like a lioness robbed of her cubs. And I'm going after you. I'm going to rip you apart. All signifying what Assyria was going to do when they invaded the land of Israel. And that's what they did. So God says this. It is your destruction, O Israel, that you are against me, against your help. You didn't want me. If you don't want me, you're against me. And if you're, if, if you're against me, I am your help. There is no other help. There is no other hope. It's only me. And yet you rejected me time and time and time again. He always takes them back to their deliverance from Egypt. He always takes them back because that's where he signifies himself as redeemer and deliverer of Israel, the protector of Israel. Takes them back and how he supplied all their needs, protected them, watched over them, shielded them from danger. Yet they kept turning their back on him over and over again. So he says in verse 10, where now is your king? Maybe you cried for a king? He says, that he may save you in all your cities and your judges of whom you requested. Give me a king and a princess. I gave you a king in my anger and I took him away in my wrath. You wanted a king? I gave you a king. So where is he now? Where are all your kings now? I gave you a prescription on how they were to live. They did not live that way. They did not rule righteously and reverently. Therefore, your life is in shambles. Without the revelation of God, the people perish. Without the revelation of God, the people are unrestrained. They're out of control. And the church becomes a picture of a revel- the revelation of God. What we gathering together on Sunday morning to worship the Lord is, is not a revolution. It is a revelation. We talked about that way back in September. We are revealing to the community, we are revealing to the world that we serve a king. We serve the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and he has given us direction on how we are to live our lives, how we are to follow him in obedience. That's what we do because he's given us his word. He's given us his revelation. And therefore, we are to follow that all the way through. 
That's why it's so important for us to understand that his revelation is our resolution. We resolve every day of our lives to live our lives according to what his word says. That's what we do because that's who we are. And as we live in that way, we are demonstrating to a lost world that we have a king who shields us, a king who shepherds us, a king who satisfies us. Those are the three points we've covered up to this point. Everything up to now has just been introductory. And so what I shared with you this morning is what I shared with this this young lady on the phone, that she might understand that what we do is for one purpose only, it's for the Lord God of Israel. And we are here to please him and honor him in all that we say and do. Because he is the one who gives us the revelation on how we are to live, how we are to worship, how we are to serve him. And I said to her, just like He's given you the exact same revelation that you are required to obey and to submit because God never gave you any authority to do what you wanted to do outside of what he's revealed in your word. He's revealed to you everything you need to know about marriage. You go outside the realm of marriage and you decide to have a man marry a man and a woman marry a woman, you've overstepped your lane. You violated the law of God you're in trouble. The revelation of God says you shall not murder. And every time you murder a child in the womb, 365 of them a day in California, you have violated the law of God. You have stepped outside the lane that God has required of you. You've done whatever you wanted to do. You can't do that. You will suffer the consequence. Without the revelation, the people will be unrestrained. You will perish. You will die. So submit to the revelation of God. He has told you what to do. The revelation of God in Leviticus 13 and 14 told you what to do when there's a pandemic. And when you step outside of that, you have violated the law of God, done your own thing, and therefore you're wrong. And the people will perish. Almost 500,000 of them in America have died because you stepped outside the law of God and did your own thing. You can blame President Trump. You can blame President Biden. You can blame anybody you want to blame. But you've got to look in the mirror. Because when you step outside the revelation of God, people will perish. That's exactly what has happened. And so we need to understand this. Our God is our shield. Our God is our shepherd. Our God is the one who satisfies the deepest desires of our soul. And let me give you point number four before we close this morning. (laughs) Point number four is this. Our God sustains us. Our God sustains us. He shields us. He shepherds us. He satisfies us. And the revelation of God says, he will sustain me. Listen, you are here sitting where you're sitting because God has sustained you. You drove in your car today because God sustained your car to get you to church. You woke up this morning because God sustained your being. You are able to live your life because God is watching over you. How do I know that? Hebrews chapter one. See, I told you we'd get back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter one, verse number three. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. 
Our Lord upholds all things, not some things. He upholds everything by the word of his power. Over in the book of Colossians chapter 1, he says this, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. In other words, every governing authority has been created by God for God. The church needs to wake up and understand that. Everybody in the world has been created by God for God. And if we as a church don't show the way, we are negligent in our responsibility. We are not following the word of the Lord. We have to do that. That's the truth of God's word. And he goes on to say this. He is also the head. Oh, excuse me, verse 17. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. By him, all things consist. In other words, without him, nothing would exist. Without his spoken word, nothing would be held together. Our bodies are held together by his word. Our lives are held together by his word. Our schools, our churches, our government, our universe, our planet, everything is held together by the word of his power. Because he has, listen, divine aseity. Great word. Divine aseity, meaning that God is completely self-sufficient and self-existent. God needs nothing else to cause him to live or to exist. He needs nothing to, suffi to, to suffice him because he is self-sufficient. He is completely autonomous. He is completely independent of anything and everything because he is the God of the world. It's called divine aseity. That's who we are. We are not that way. We are dependent people. We are not self-sufficient people. We don't exist by our own selves. We only exist because of God. He rules. He reigns. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. He sustains us. And you know what? That causes us to rejoice because that means he sustains me, what? Through my trials. He sustains me through my tribulations. He sustains me through today, tomorrow, in every situation I encounter. Without him sustaining me, I falter. I fall. I can't do it. We live each day under the sustaining power of the word of God. And that's why his revelation is our resolution. We have resolved in our hearts to live for the glory and honor of God. God says, you thought, Psalm 50, that I was just like you. Oh, how wrong we are. God is nothing like us. Are we created in his image? Yes. But our God has divine aseity. He self-existent, self-sufficient, completely independent, completely autonomous, dependent upon nothing or anything. We're not that way. We need him. So what does God do? He takes us through life and shatters our independence from him in order to establish our dependence upon him.
We need him. And the church begins to light the way in all of that. Because it's the world that's living independently of God. They're doing whatever they want to do, however they want to do it. And we're saying no. They're saying no God, Psalm 14.1. The fool has said in his heart, no God. Not K-N-O-W, just N-O, no. And we say no, you say yes, God. Because without him, we can't exist. Without him, we can't live. What did Paul say? In him, we live and move and have our being. Acts 17, 28. That's why the psalmist said, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will what? Sustain you. Sustain you. So important. Cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. We need God's sustaining strength and power. And it comes to his word, the revelation of the living God that we are subject to. I say all this simply because God's word is everything. The truth of God is everything. That's why we spent some time on Proverbs 29, 18. Because his revelation must be our resolution every moment of our lives. Or we'll step outside of our lane. The lane that God has prescribed for us. We'll do our own thing. And as God did with Israel, he gave them the desire of their heart and sent what? A barrenness to their soul. Psalm 106, verse number 15. How many people do you know that have stepped outside of the revelation of God? They've done their own things and God says, okay, you want a king? I'll give you a king. You want to marry that one? Go ahead, marry that one. You want that job? Go ahead, take that job. Never seeking God, following his revelation, only to realize God gave me the desire of my heart but sent barrenness to my soul, a wasting disease to my soul. I'm dry, I'm parched. Because I stood outside the revelation of God. I became autonomous, thinking I had humanity. I don't. Only a divine God of the universe has a seity, not me. I am completely dependent upon him for everything. And when we live that way, guess what? God blesses immensely. Happy is the man who keeps the law. Happy is the man who keeps the law. God blesses that man. And God will bless the church that keeps the law. And God will bless the family who keeps the law. God will do it unique and special things in those who keep his law. It doesn't mean you're going to be absent from trials and tribulations. No. But the joy of the Lord, what does Nehemiah say? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Oh, may God give us the grace to live for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. What a great day to worship you as king. We pray that, Lord, you go before us as a church, that we would live for the glory and honor of God, never compromising your truth, never straying away from the truth of God's word, but living according to your will, your will only, because you are the king of the universe. You are the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, not just in the future, but today, every day. And so, Lord, we subject ourselves to you because we love you. So until you come again, as you most surely will, may we be a testimony to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.